Good morning. I love to have to tell my son, don't run, because he's so excited to go to children's church. Just don't kill yourself on the way. Amen. What a great service so far. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to pray first. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for the word that you've um, prepared in my heart to share this morning. And I just pray that um, your heart would be transmitted through what I say. Let me forget everything that you don't want me to say. (laughs) And uh, just bring to mind, Holy Spirit, I know you will, what it is you have for us here today in our Access family. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you've prepared us coming in to hear the seed of your word, that it may go down deep and take root this morning, that we can be trees that bear fruit and shade for the people that we'll meet along the way that need to see a Jesus with skin on. So we love you. We invite you to continue to speak to us this morning. Work in our hearts, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Um, In worship, that first song that we sang about uh, evidence, see the evidence of your goodness, and in singing about the graves, I I see the empty grave. The message I'm going to share this morning is from a deep gratitude. I, I actually brought up toilet paper, just in case I get emotional. So if I get emotional, it's just out of deep, deep gratitude for the empty graves in my life. Have you ever felt like you were in a grave? No hope? See, already, it's already happening. No light, no future, wasted years. Where are you, God? And I'm so, so thankful for empty graves this morning that our Lord Jesus Christ went before us. He blazed the trail of walking out of the grave so that you and I can walk out of our graves. That that's not the final story. It's not the last word. And what the enemy means for harm in our lives, praise God, is not the end of our story. Thank you. See, I don't have to use toilet paper. Sorry for the sound effects there. Amen. Just so, so grateful uh, to be able to share what I'm going to share about um, this morning. I started this message with part one two weeks ago. If you remember, if you don't remember, I spoke out of 1 Corinthians 12 and a little bit out of the beginning of 13. And I wanted to lay the foundation for uh, what is the purpose for the local church. If you can go ahead and put up that first image for me. Um, I think many times in our life, it it ends up that we come into the the body of Christ as um, believers. We accept the Lord. Maybe, I actually don't remember ever accepting Jesus into my heart. Um, I, I was about this tall, when I had my first awareness, I remember, like, where I was standing, like now, my memory of this, what I'm referring to is, I was standing in a concert of Phil Driscoll, famous Christian um, musician, he plays the trumpet and 
he doesn't sing or anything. He just, I mean, he does sing. But mainly it's, it's his trumpeting that he gives a whole concert. And it's, so I was this tall. I was at his concert. It was old enough that they used fake blue smoke. All the lights were off. Um, and I remember standing there. And I, I, rem- I can feel like, I remember in my memory the warmth of the tears streaming down my cheek. Because I was that age. And I remember that's the first time I remember the presence of God. I felt it, and I was like, oh, God, I just love you, Lord. And I don't ever remember saying, Jesus, come into my heart. I don't remember that. But I remember our little babies. They can know the presence of God. And I think sometimes we come into the body of Christ, whether it's that young or it's older as an adult or it's a teenager or maybe not until you're 60, whenever. And sometimes we're, we're living life and we're, we're doing what we do and we're like this. Like, what am I doing? Like, it's me and Jesus, but what am I doing? And last week, or two weeks ago in part one, I talked about how our significance, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 12 talks about our significance, is so closely tied to us finding our part in the local church. Paul says that we each have an inherent dignity and honor because we're, and we talked about how it's because we're image bearers of of God in this world. But then, not to be self-important, but we find our significance, how we're going to leave our eternal footprint, so to speak, in this world, how we connect through, by means of how we connect to the local church. And it's through that connection through the local church that we grow. We grow spiritually. We grow relationally. God peels off the layers of our lives where maybe we have fear or hardness of heart or unforgiveness. It's through that rubbing up against one another. Hey, Michelle, come here. It's through when we start to work and live and attend church, and meet throughout the week, and we we bump into each other, it's through this right here, this friction. And it's like, sometimes it's like, ow, that hurt. (laughs) And and sometimes we tend to want to say, I'm not going back there. And what God is actually calling us to is to stay here, so that this friction and this bumping into one another relationally, different personalities, and someone drives us crazy, and we stay in it, Thanks. So that, can we go to the next slide? So that this is actually what's supposed to be happening. We are actually supposed to be growing both individually in Christ. He's refining us and growing us within how we're plugged into the local church, within the body of Christ at large. It should not be, can we go back to the other slide? It should not be this. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or an evangelist or a doctor or a missionary. No matter what our calling, our our secondary calling in life is, we should all be, back to the next slide, (laughs) plugged into our local church, growing, bumping into other people, working through differences, forgiving, we will never grow in isolation. I've shared something before, and um, 
I think, it's, I, I think about it often, actually, in my own life. My relationship and my spiritual growth is very personal, right? We've talked about it before in, in other messages that I've shared. It's very personal. It's very uniquely tailored to my personality, my past, my present, my future, how God grows me. But it is never, it cannot be private. Our growth spiritually can't happen in a vacuum. It'd be nice because it wouldn't hurt as much. Sometimes we come to a new community that God brings us to and we don't want to plug in because it hurts so much when we left the last one. Sometimes it hurts because it was so good. Right? Sometimes the Lord says, time to go to the next one. And we're like, no, I love these people. And then sometimes the Lord said, says, it's time to go to the next one. And we're like, yes, sir, it is. You do not have to say that twice. Whatever the reason that the Lord moves us, or we move ourselves and the Lord necessarily hasn't moved us, whatever the reason is that the Lord moves us and transitions us to the next community, it's so important that we keep these things in mind. I'm going to talk about a few things this morning that can be difficult in community, but that we keep our eyes on the why and not the what. Satan would love love, love, to get us caught up in cycling and rehearsing the what. What's happening? What's ticking you off? What's rubbing you wrong? What is uncomfortable about community? Just keep thinking about it. Just keep mulling it over. Just keep, just keep growling inside about how uncomfortable community is. But God is calling us to focus on the why Why have I called you into community? It's so you can grow, but it's also so that as a corporate community, we can have a greater impact. It's why Jesus didn't walk around for 33 years all by himself. I mean, he had crowds following him. He was having an impact. But think about the exponentially greater impact he had because he took the time to deal with the junk of humans. He stepped out of heaven, yes, to bring us hope, we're an advent, yes, to bring us joy, but to show us how we were supposed to deal with, work with, partner with, love one another, even when it hurts. Amen? Some amens are harder than others, aren't they? Yeah. Well, some things that I would like to talk about this morning, there's kind of three groups of difficult things within community that I want to touch on. Sorry, I keep sniffling. You don't want to hear that all morning. Excuse me. (laughs) I want to talk about limits and boundaries. Limits and boundaries. I want to talk about correction, rebuke, and discipline. I'm smiling as I'm saying it. Correction, rebuke, and discipline. 
and accountability, submission, and conflict. So I, I tried to like group them, right? I thought maybe I should bring some M&Ms this morning and pass them out, leave them in your seats and kind of help it go down a little easier, but um, I didn't. I forgot about it. All right, limits and boundaries. These are necessary, right? Uh, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but l- limits and boundaries actually facilitate freedom. What? So a really great picture of this is a playground. Think of a playground, and we're in Guatemala, so it's a perfect picture. How does limits and boundaries facilitate freedom? So picture a playground on a cliff. Parents, how do you feel if your child walks up to the edge of a, whatever, drop-off? I mean, it doesn't have to be a drop-off. It could be the stairs back there. Last week, we were in a meeting here, and little Eli walked up to the doors over there to go out to the bathroom, and he just did this, and all, collectively, all the moms went, <gasps> like, all of us immediately nauseous, stomachs dropped out, because he was, like, going, and he did this, and he just stopped, and we were all like, oh, how do we feel, right? Because we know the danger. But how different would it be if there was something to keep him from barreling over the edge. This is what limits and boundaries do for us. Of course, we turn into teenagers and we're like, don't tell me what to do. Don't give me a curfew. And as parents, we know. We give them curfews because we know the dirty, mean people. I was going to say dirty old men, but <laughs> there's, it's, I don't want to be sexist. It's equal opportunity. Men, women, it doesn't matter. We know the kind of people that are probably, you know, lurking at night, and we don't want, they're, they're out in the daytime too. I'm just saying, we know the risks that are out at night, and so we put limits and boundaries on our kids. And this is what God does for us through our pastors and our church leaders. And so I thought about a playground on the edge of a barranco and how the children could be playing, and if there's something to keep them from barreling over the edge, how freely they could be playing and enjoying the playground. But if there's not, they're not as free. They're guarded. They're protecting one another, maybe. Maybe they're clueless, and all the adults are running around like crazy trying to keep them from going over the edge. But it's when God gives us the limits and the boundaries, even though sometimes it infringes on our personal freedom, even though once we say yes to Jesus, really, we don't have personal freedom. But that's another sermon. The limits and boundaries that God gives us through the word, through our pastors, through our church leaders, are for our good. And when we view them in that light, they may still be uncomfortable, but it kind of helps, like the M&Ms, it kind of helps them to go down a little easier. We can accept them when we know it's for our benefit, if, if we're wanting to grow. Because sometimes we know it's for our good and we still don't like them, right? So in thinking about limits and boundaries, I thought about a shepherd with sheep. And we know, and if, you know, maybe you're new to, to, to the Bible and to, to God and you don't know, but all through the Bible, God compares shepherds to Jesus 
principally, but then to pastors as well, to take care of the sheep, to guard the sheep. So I've got some scriptures here. Just real quickly, I want to touch on them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. But in Isaiah 40, 10 through 11, it says, The sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Notice the, the, um, the well, it's the, ju- the juxtaposition, but it's like the, the strong, the strength, the power. But then he tends the flock like a shepherd. Like, he's, raw, I'm coming. And then it's like, but he picks up the lambs and he, he cares for them. And that's the, that's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of a good pastor. He tends his flock. Mark 6, 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And the last one is Ezekiel 34. There's many, but I just chose a few. Ezekiel 34, 30 through 31. In this way, they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And they will know that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Um, There's a few things I've just read about sheep. Some of you may have heard some of the ways that we are kind of similar to sheep, but I read some new things that I didn't... I hadn't heard before that I wanted to share with you about how as congregants, as people who come to a church, who belong to a church, as the body of Christ at large, followers of Jesus, confessors of who Jesus is to us as Lord and Savior, we are like sheep. And God likens us to sheep all throughout Scripture. We wander. We get lost easily. We are wanderers by nature. This is a good one. We are skittish. I don't know about you, but friendship can be difficult for me. And if I start to get close, maybe start to open my heart a little bit to somebody, and I feel a little something-something, I'm like, nope, not going to try that. I'm skittish. I've learned my lesson. It's not really the lesson I'm supposed to learn because God wants us to walk with open hearts and in vulnerability. But that hurts more sometimes. So I'm skittish. It says, sheep are very sensitive and they spook easily. They'll run off the second they sense danger or a threat of any kind. And they can get easily lost as a result. Nope, not going to go to that church. Nope, not going to go to that church. And you bolt out the door for whatever reason, and you get lost. We easily get lost as a result. This I hadn't heard before, but it really is apt, personally. They hide illness or injury. Because sheep are prey animals, 
They are masters of hiding illness or injury because showing those things would make them a prime target for predators. I had to pause when I read that and I was like, that's me, Lord. Masters of hiding illness or injury. Consequently, sheep need shepherds for early detection of injury or illness. One author said it this way, and these are all from like farming websites. They're not from like, how can you preach about sheep in your church? This is like puro farming, like you're going to be a farmer, this is what you need to know. One author said, another benefit to having a shepherd who is used to these particular sheep is that someone who knows the sheep so closely will be much more likely to notice when something is not quite right. Because sheep are prey animals, they are masters of hiding illness and injury because showing these things would make them a prime target for predators. But a good shepherd notices things like little limps. Not everybody would notice it, right? When your kid does something off, you're like, you feeling okay? They wake up and they have a certain look in their eyes. Did you sleep okay last night? They know their kids. They know little, little ways in which their kids are showing weakness maybe or illness. But a good shepherd notices things like little limps and minor abnormalities and behaviors before they advance to being life-threatening. Nothing can rival the effectiveness of a trained eye in spotting health concerns before they become irreversible. Now, we know that nothing is irreversible. Thank God for God. Nothing is impossible. And we know that God is our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's our shepherd. But the picture of a pastor, the picture of a shepherd of a house, a local church, is that as well. The heart of a local pastor should be one that knows his congregants, the members, the people who attend his church on a regular basis so well that when they show up, and even maybe they don't see something with their physical eye, spiritually they, they are in tune with people. The Lord has given them that mantle, that ability to bear witness with the, the sheep in his house to say, hey, are you doing okay? I'm picking something up. I, I feel like there might be something going on. But if we're constantly running away because we're getting our feelings hurt or we're scared or the last place we were at totally ran over us and we don't want to risk it again or the last place we were at was so great and it hurt so much when the Lord moved us, we don't want to really get that deep again. If we are doing that, we tie the hands of the pastor that God has put over us to help shepherd us, to help keep us. Now, ultimately, we, we always have our ear on what the Lord is telling us directly. But God uses pastors and church leaders. Sometimes we're like, geez, Lord, do you have to tell them all of that? Have you ever thought that? Do you have to, like, tell them everything? But when we trust the Lord's leadership in our lives... I'm going to say that again. When we trust the Lord's leadership in our lives so that when we know in our knowers, 
when we know by the Spirit of God that works on the inside of us because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, he quickens our mortal bodies. He's our comforter. He's our guider. So when he leads us into a body of fellowship of faith, and we know, you all know what I'm talking about. You know when the Lord brings you somewhere, and you're like, oh, shivers. I know the Lord brought me here. And Satan's going to come in. He can't read our minds, but he can see body language. He can see when, when, we, when we're confident or when we're skittish. He can tell when our, our guard is down. He's going to work. He's going to take every opportunity to bring in offense, to bring in suspicion, to bring in fear, to bring in, you know what happened in the last place? I bet this guy's the same way. And we're like, and we don't realize it, but we hear those thoughts and we don't recognize them for what they are, and we take the bait. And I'm saying this because this is what I did. I shared two weeks ago, I had a really good opportunity to get really ticked off and say, nope, not doing this again. We came, our family, three and a half years ago. We sat, I didn't, my kids jumped right in, but I sat on the back row for a year. For the first three months, I couldn't even sing in worship. I was so scared. I was so angry. I was so like a tiger in a cage, like, let me out! Angry and scared. Fontaine has told me several times when we first came, he felt like he couldn't really talk to me. I just had like this defensiveness all around me. I was not. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're not going to do it again. But the problem is, is when we say I'm not going to do it again, I wish I had a door here again. The problem is we say slam. We slam the door on healing and hope and restoration and all the things that God has for us as a result, as a fruit of that healing, as a result of me surrendering the pain, me surrendering the fear, me surrendering the suspicion, me surrendering it and saying, God, that hurts. I'm so freaking scared. But I trust God's leadership. And as a pastor... As a shepherd, he is our great pastor. He is our great shepherd. He leads us to shepherds. And sometimes we mess it up. Sometimes we land somewhere where we shouldn't be for whatever reason. And we go around a mountain for a few years, maybe. Our, you know, in our case, we were, we were where we were for about 15 years before we moved here. Call us gluttons. I don't know. So that when we finally did leave... It took us a good year. After several months, we sat down with Fontaine. It took us a while to even get to that point. We sat down with him and we said, okay, look, here's the deal. We know enough to know that God has brought us to access. We don't know how long. This is how I was talking to. We don't know how long. We're not doing anything. We're just going to come and sit. When God gets us to the point, because I, I also knew enough to know that that wasn't the end. But in that moment, I was still so hurt. And oh, like, I started crying in my closet at home getting ready to come to church. 
short of breath, heart racing. I was like, okay, okay, I can do it. And for months, I would just come because I knew my kids. I, I knew the spirit of God. I knew that little girl. I told you, I knew the presence of God. And I knew also that people aren't God. I know people are broken. And I know hurt people hurt people. But it doesn't matter. Like when you're in the middle of it, you don't care why someone hurts you or you don't care if it was intentional or not. You just know you're hurt and you don't want to risk it again. I'm going to take that earring out. Keep hearing it. David. You just know you don't want to deal with it again. You don't want to risk it. So we said, look, Fontaine, we're here. We don't know how long. We know that, you know, ideally God will heal us and get us back to the point because when we're not so crazy hurt, <laughs> we're, we're all in kind of people. Like, I have loved the church. I have loved the bride of Christ. I don't know why. I have loved, I've always had a deep love for the church. And I really wanted to be in that place again where I wanted to serve and I wanted to help and I wanted to bless the church. We were in the States a few years ago and my best friend surprised me. She lives in Colorado. We were in Indiana. And we were getting ready for um, Christmas Eve dinner maybe? I don't remember. There were Christmas decorations everywhere. And I walk into my mom's kitchen and I'm standing at the island and I'm fiddling around with something and all of a sudden my girl walks in the door and I was like are you kidding me and I was crying and it blessed me and it brought me healing it brought me just I don't know if you have a best friend like that and she just shows up out of nowhere and you're like are you freaking kidding me you're like in front of my face right now I can touch you I hadn't seen her in years because you know we live here and she lives there and I was talking to Johnny about it afterwards, and I was like, did you know about that? And he was like, of course I knew about it. Everybody knew about it. And I was like, you dirty dog. And so we were talking about how cool it was, and he mentioned, um, and, I, and I remember that when it, I looked at him, when she walked in, like, you knew. And I remember on his face, just like he was beaming, because he knew, and he kept it a secret. And it's hard to keep a secret from Mama. But he kept a secret, and so he was, like, beaming. And we talked about it later, and we weren't, I was not trying to be spiritual, but I just heard in his voice, and he, he told me how it blessed him to see me totally overjoyed, totally like, are you really here? Like, it blessed him. Hear this. It blessed my husband to see his woman. So blessed. And when we risk loving his bride and we connect in meaningful consistent ways to his bride think about what it must do to his heart and he's like they're loving my wife they're embracing my imperfect my flawed, my hurtful sometimes wife. This one right here. This child of God keeps coming back. 
He, he shows up every Sunday morning to love my bride. She shows up every morning to get the bathrooms ready for my bride. We are loving the bride of Christ. When we recognize her, which is us, by the way, when we recognize her and all of our imperfections, and we say, I will love her anyway. I will love her deeply. I will forgive her deeply. Because in our forgiving and our extending forgiveness, and this is what I have found to be true. I told you I was going to cry, but it's because I'm so grateful that I am not still so angry. I'm not. I can't even stand up here. I told God basically my middle finger when I moved here. I know I moved here as a, as a missionary, and missionaries are supposed to be whatever they're supposed to be. The truth is we're not anything. We're just scared and trying to figure it out all the time like you guys are. But I just basically was like, forget it. And it's so strange because I had all those conflicting feelings because I'm telling you, I, I've known the presence of God. I've deeply loved, loved the Lord and the presence of God. I've known his voice since I was a little girl. And I don't say that to toot toot my own horn at all. It's just like I've had such a deep love and treasuring in my heart for who he is to me that when I was actually in a place where I said, you know what, to him, I'm so, so grateful that I am not there anymore. I'm so grateful that I can read the word of God and it's alive again. I'm so grateful that I took the risk. I was reading something this week and it said, and I hadn't thought about it before, but I'm so grateful for the Saul's in my life because they enabled me to find my Paul. Like, up until that point, I have never been grateful for the Saul's in my life. But my gratitude for the Paul has brought me to this place where I can stand up here and talk about how grateful I am and encourage each one of you to take the risk. Take the risk of putting down the roots. Take the risk of opening up. Take the risk of loving the bride of Christ. And we love the bride of Christ best when we say, I'm staying put. I showed you the picture of the tree last week and how silly it is to think about a tree pulling up her roots. A storm comes through and a lightning strikes just a little too close. Whoa, that was close. I am moving. I'm going over here to this field. That lightning was too close for comfort. And the truth is, we all know lightning strikes every field in the world. Like, being in one field versus another field isn't going to protect you from getting struck by lightning. And in case you're not picking up what I'm putting down, it doesn't matter what body of faith you are going to attend. Lightning strikes. We have a very real enemy who is out to kill us, to steal life, to destroy our children. And I am just so dang thankful that the Lord kept me. It is by his grace. I'm just so, so aware 
of his mercy and his grace in my family. And it's, I know, I believe, it is because we plugged in and we allowed the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts through the difficult conversations, through the suspicions, through the reactivity of my triggers. I was walking on an, at home last night. I was walking on my treadmill. And there's, I was in a car accident when I was 16, and the girl behind me broke all of her bones from her waist, pelvic area, down, shattered. She was in traction for months. Um, it just barely missed my spine. It was impact was right. We T-boned right into a light post. Um, and I have this spot on my knee that is still numb today from that because of how I impacted the dashboard. Um, but when I run or when I walk, and so I'm like getting busy with it because, you know, mamas, we always want to trim down a little bit. So I was like going, 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 and I'm like three and a half miles in, and, and I start to feel that spot. It's right there. I can like touch it right now because I can't feel it. I know where it is. I'm 44. That was 16 years old. I still have that spot. That spot. Sometimes, because of what we walk through, we carry spots. That when something is said, maybe a word, maybe a tone, a voice, it could be a facial expression, Something is said, and we feel that spot, and we're like, ooh, no. And in that moment, it is so vital. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, lean in, lean in. I have healing for you. Lean in. So we have the choice to say, heck no. Or we can say, Lord, I trust your leadership, and I'm not going anywhere. Show me where I need to heal. Show me where I need to grow. Show me where I need to forgive. And if I forgave him yesterday and I need to say it again today, I forgive him again today. I forgive him again today. I release them again today. I have someone in my life I have been forgiving for 20 years. I truly I still have feelings come up where I'm just like, Arr. but my heart, I choose. Every time that happens, I forgive him, Lord. I release him. That is forgiveness. It's not, I forgive him and I never feel that anymore. I'll feel that the rest of my life. I will feel some things the rest of my life. I will feel abandonment, rejection, fear. What if in some situations for the rest of my life, but it's what Paul said, take every thought captive, take it captive, call it what it is. It's the plan of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy and say, not today, Satan. I forgive them. I'm staying put. I'm not going to kick out the windows on my way out the door. I'm going to stay put. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to have hard conversations. And I'm going to say, pastor, will you pray about this? Or, Pastor, I heard this. What did you really say? What was your heart behind what you were saying? Because this is what I heard. Or, Pastor, I have this idea. Or, leader in the church, I have this idea. I really feel like God's telling me to do it. I, I think we should wait on that. Or, let's keep praying about it. Not necessarily a green light, not necessarily a no. What are we going to do? 
Are we going to trust God's leadership that in his divine sovereignty, he is saying not right now through the man or woman of God? Or are we going to say, they're not letting me be who God's called me to be. I'm going to go find somebody who will affirm me. There's a lot of people out there who affirm you. Satan affirm you all day long. As long as you're not listening to him. Now, y'all, I did not even get to my other two things. It'll be part three. I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you had to make a choice to come because in your heart you really didn't want to come. If this isn't your home church, go back to your home church. Deal with your issues. But if this is your home church, keep coming. Plug in. Find out where you can connect. Because you can go to church for 10 years, never connect, and still live in isolation. Just because you're here this morning doesn't mean you're connected. Find a way to get vulnerable. Find a way to, to let somebody in. And I'll tell you, three and a half years ago, it was not happening for me. I know, some of us are there. I know. I'm not saying tomorrow. But set your heart in a posture that says, God, I want to be connected in a meaningful way so that you can grow me. So that you can grow me and help me in the times, Lord. Help me in the opportunities when whatever my trigger is gets triggered. Give me wisdom. Give me stick with itness. Give me Holy Ghost grit to recognize and call a spade a spade, to recognize the plot of the enemy to destroy my life and keep me. He doesn't know what God's destiny for me is. Only God knows. But he knows that if he can get me stuck in offense, hard-heartedness, unforgiveness, it doesn't matter what God's plan for me is. If I stay here because it feels safer, it doesn't matter how much I want to get there. I'm not getting there. Satan knows that. He's been around the block. This is not his first rodeo. He's been messing with people's lives, getting people off track, deterring them from their divine destiny for thousands of years. He's good at his job. But the Holy Spirit's better. And if we keep coming back, and if we keep coming back, and if we keep coming back, and if we keep coming back to the throne room of God, and we keep saying, I did it again, Lord, help me. I want you. I want my children to know you. I want my children's children to know you. I want my community to know you. And I want to be smack in the middle of it. He'll keep us. He'll keep you. He'll keep me. So when there's limits and there's boundaries and there's rebuke, Nathan spoke to David a hard word. 
David totally blew it. Got caught up in pride, lust. He totally took the bait. Satan had him. But God, and Nathan said, it was you. You were the rich man who stole the little lamb. And David knew it. And in that second, this is where we get tripped up. In that second, David had a fork. And he could say, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but I am the king. God appointed king. He could have said that. We could say that. I don't know who you're talking to. This is what David said. This is what will keep us. Verse 13. 2 Samuel 12. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Because David chose to respond to the word of the Lord with humility. When we choose to respond to the word of the Lord with humility, godly rebuke, godly correction, it brings restoration. David had hard consequences for his choice. But because he didn't take that first road that I mentioned, and he set his heart, he maintained a soft heart to the Lord through the man of God, through the woman of God, and he said, yes, Lord, you know I have sinned against you. That is why David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect. He was just as screwed up as the rest of us. But when called out, by the God of the universe, David said, you know me, God. You know I've sinned against you, my God. You know, you know I love you, Lord. You know that I want you. That's where God wants us. That place where our heart, like we stick our hand in that gross, gooey bucket of Play-Doh and it gets stuck in our nails but it's so pliable. That's where God wants our heart. And when we determine to plug into a local body of believers and we determine to listen to what the, the Lord has through the man of God or woman of God over that house and we determine to pull out what God has for us, we pull out what God has for us. We pray about it. We consider it. We read the word and we listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing privately in our quiet time, but also how the Lord is guiding us through what is being said through our pastors, through our church leaders. It all works together in concert. God told David through Nathan, if you would have said, he, God said, I gave you all of this kingdom. I gave, it's because he loved David. God loves us. He's given us so much. And David said, nope, I want what isn't mine. But God said, I love you so much. Why did you do that? I would have given it to you. That's what God is saying to us this morning. 
I love you so much. Plug in, do the hard, do it afraid. Can we put up the last three slides and then I'll pray. There's a, I'm sure some of you have heard of, um, and read Natalie Runyon's um, content on social media. It has, because of my story, blessed me tremendously. It's continuing to bring healing. It's still not over. It's still a process. And it says some things we expect from the church only Jesus can offer. Some of us come into a body and we expect Jesus from every single person we meet. And we bump into somebody who's had the same fun morning we've had and we get the fallout from it. Bless God, I'm not going back to that church. They say they love people. Some things we expect from God that only Jesus can give us. Perfection. We have attached a perfect God to imperfect people. No leader, no position, congregation, volunteer service, or opportunity will be perfect. Just because we all put our eyes on God doesn't mean we are perfect. We're still going to mess it up. We're still going to offend each other. We're still going to cut deep sometimes. But it's God's mercy working in that crazy mess that glorifies him. Because healing comes. Love comes. Somehow, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. And out of this, he is glorified. And the last one, I'm so thankful for the church. Her brokenness is a reminder that we're all part of a bigger picture, a greater remnant that will not be built on perfection, but it will be built on the love and the power of God in Jesus' name. This will only happen when we stay. And in fact, that's this, this woman who writes, she's a beautiful, she articulates and expresses some of the things that some of us think we can't say out loud. But she says this stuff uh, in her like campaign, so to speak, it's called Raised to stay. I just love that. I'm a stayer. Before I heard raised to stay, I've always called myself a long hauler. I'm a long hauler. I am in it for the long haul. Come hell or high water, I'm a long hauler. So whether you want to be a long hauler or you want to be a stayer, this will only happen when that happens, when we stay in the hard, when we stay in the beautiful, when we stay in the ugly, when we stay, when we stay, a greater remnant that won't be built on perfection, oh, but the love 
and the power of God. I'm going to pray if the Lord is, oh, it's scary, isn't it, when, when he starts to prick those areas in our heart. It can, it can feel like, what's happening, Lord? What? Nope, 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 not listening, not nope. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> nope. Putting that nope, not gonna, that's not a word from the Lord for me. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm going to pray, and we're going to have people up here, and Fontaine is up here. And if you feel at all like you need to come back, I know you're here physically, but maybe here you need to come back. Yes, you can come back to the Lord. You can come back in your seat. But sometimes, sometimes coming back works better when we have contact. Maddie's never offended me, but just touching her hand right now, just connecting to the Spirit of God on the inside of her, the Lord's calling us back. He's calling you back. And sometimes to come back, you need to have contact. So Fontaine is here. Our prayer team is available. We got lots of people in seats who are capable prayers. And if you're coming back, looks like making contact this morning. We invite you into that space. We make the invitation. The Lord is making the invitation. Come back. Victor was actually, Victor's in the back over there. He was in our house, he and his wife, one time. And he called me on the carpet. And it was in kind of like that decision period where I was like, should we start to go to access to work? Like, not work, you know, but like serve and be more involucrado in my, in, inside or not. And he didn't know that. And he called me out and said, don't be afraid to love God's bride. Don't be afraid to love God's bride. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the healing that you're doing, starting, continuing in our hearts this morning. We thank you for your word of love, correction, redirection, admonishment this morning. We know that it's rooted in love, Lord. Every word of correction, every word of rebuke, every word of no child, no. It's all rooted in a, a love for us for no greater love than a man would lay down his life. You sent your only son because you love us. And you're calling us this morning because you love us. Bring us to the place where we can trust your leadership in our lives more than the lies of the enemy. Thank you, Lord.